if you have not already, please meet me in Romans chapter 15, verses uh, 5 through 7 will be our primary text. My name is Jason. I serve as one of the elders here at Church in the Square, and it is good to open up God's Word with you. Uh, today, Paul is actually going to pray for us, and it was customary in his writing for Paul to sort of interrupt himself and just start praying. In fact, uh, he's going to do it again in verse 13 in chapter 15. So the apostle um, essentially breaks out into prayer here and is going to do it again in just a couple of um, paragraphs. And what he's doing is he's praying for one thing here. He's praying for unity. He's praying for unity for the church. He's praying unity for or harmony for brothers and sisters who are reading this letter. Um, and by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's been, he was praying for us um, that we would know harmony. He's asking God ultimately to help us live in harmony not with anyone and everyone, but particularly with each other. So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what does it look like, what does it mean to live in harmony with each other, particularly with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, after all, everywhere we look, I think um, maybe you were given a lot of different reasons this week to be divided, to be divisive, to draw a line in the sand and say which side are you on, whether in your family, uh, perhaps uh, on your social media feeds. I mean, every time you jump on there, it's asking you, are you in or you out, right? Um, and are you ready to sign in blood? And so we're constantly being asked to make these sorts of de de decisions that lead to divisiveness. And so in the midst of that chaos, if you will, Paul is praying for peace. He's praying for harmony within the church and in many respects so that it will be a witness to a chaotic world. So through this prayer, we're even called to imagine. Can you imagine if we knew harmony while so many other people were longing for it, looking for it, and unable uh, to capture it? So Paul is going to tell us um, to not agree about everything. So if that's what you're worried about, you, you can be at peace. He's not going to call us to agree about everything. Harmony is not about agreeing on everything. In fact, if you remember, in chapters 14 and 15, Paul's main idea has been to highlight the tension and the disagreements within the first century church between especially these people that he's described as the weak and the strong. He's saying there's constantly tension between the weak and the strong from the beginning of chapter 14 on into 15. So harmony then, isn't about having all of the same ideas about everything. Harmony is about having the same central affections. Harmony is about not having all the right doctrines, or all the same doctrines rather, but it's being fully accord in our loves, in what we love and what we find as the center of our heart. And so what's that look like? Here's how we'll organize our time. That's going to be the journey today. We'll look at the challenge of harmony, because it's hard. <laughs> Uh, we'll look at the purpose of harmony, so what is it for? And then finally, we'll look at the motivation of harmony. What's driving us to pursue this? And why in the world would we even care about living in harmony? So we'll look at the challenge, the purpose, and then the motivation. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Uh, Heavenly Father, left to ourselves, we, we're going to give up. It doesn't seem worth it to try to seek unity and peace and harmony with one another. And to be sure, there may be really important reasons, and we find in the Scriptures, to divide and to go our separate ways. And yet, here what Paul is praying for, we find, and what we sense is your will uh, for us, just in reading this text, is that we would learn this art, this discipline, this rhythm, this practice of seeking harmony with one another. And so we pray, uh, God, as we open your Word, would you open us up? Would you humble us? Would you humble me? Would you humble my brothers and sisters here, um, as we navigate your scriptures, would you speak truth to us in the way that you so kindly do? You always speak the truth with love. 
And so may we be attentive as your Spirit speaks over us. Help me to be clear and responsible with your Word. And as this Word goes out over us, would we all uh, be eager and willing to not just apply it tomorrow, but to would you change us on the spot? Would you transform us by the renewal of our minds? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Paul is praying, and he's praying to God, which may, you know, seem obvious, but I think it's really uh, important, critical, that Paul is not just uh, sending out wishful thinking. He's actually beseeching. He's speaking to God himself, and this is the foundation of prayer. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller describes prayer as the response, as a response to the knowledge of God. So, the response to the knowledge of God. More specifically, Keller writes in his book on prayer, The power of our prayers lies not primarily in our effort and striving or in any technique, but rather in our knowledge of God. I think this is really liberating because often when we pray, we're like, am I using the right words? (laughs) Is this the right syncopation? Have I called on the Trinity? Have I hit all of the, you know, mad libs that I'm supposed to to have a biblical prayer that's going to get answered? And really, it's not about our technique, Keller says. It's not about uh, even in what we're saying, but it's in our knowledge, our understanding of who God is. This is why Jesus begins his now famous prayer in Matthew chapter 6 that we have called the Lord's Prayer. How does he begin it? He speaks to the one who is Father. He speaks to the one who is in heaven. He speaks to the one who is hallowed or holy. All of that is doing what? Grounding his prayer and his knowledge of who God is. I find this deeply comforting. If you know who God is, even, even just a mustard seed, Jesus says, then you can pray. You can pray. You don't need to have everything together. You don't need to footnote every request. You can come humbly before your Father who is in heaven, who is holy. Paul does the same thing here in Romans 15, and I think it's good practice for all of us to season our prayers from beginning to end with a confession and even a celebration of who God is, who He is. So Paul prays for you. He prays for me, his readers, this way. Romans chapter 15, verse 5. Let's look at it together. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. You see, he begins simply by describing God. Now, this might seem odd because we don't often do this in relationships, though I think it's actually really healthy to do in relationships, to just tell God who he is. (laughs) Say, this is who I know that you are, right? In fact, it's really deeply encouraging when my wife or someone in my small group or one of the other elders, when I'm in the middle of confusion or I need wisdom, that's where they often begin. Here's who you are. Don't forget who you are. It centers you. It, it brings kind of the power of your uh, personality, of your personhood, of your being. And what does Paul say? He says he's the God of endurance. He's the God of encouragement. However, in describing God this way, I think we also hear him begin to make his request, begin to ask God for something. See, the words endurance and encouragement are in what's called the genitive case in the Greek language of which the New Testament, most of which was written in Greek. And that means that in, as interpreters and readers, we have to make a decision. We have to make a decision about what specifically is Paul saying about the God of endurance and the God of encouragement. Is Paul describing God as the God who has um, endurance and encouragement? Is he talking about God is enduring and is encouraging? Or is he saying that he is the one who gives endurance and gives encouragement? And you might think, well, this is so dumb because all of those are true. What does it really matter, right? Well, to be sure, all of those are true of who God is. However, when we look at the context Paul is asking God to give us the gift of harmony and unity with one another. Therefore, it's probably best to understand that when Paul is saying the God of endurance and God of encouragement, he is essentially saying that in order to give the gift of harmony, 
God, would you also give the gift of encouragement and of endurance because we're going to need it. If we are to experience harmony with one another, we also need the gifts of endurance and encouragement. Now, again, this idea of harmony is not about agreeing on everything. Again, we say thanks be to God. This is one of the reasons that we believe it's important in our documents as a church family. To be a member, we need to affirm core doctrines and ideas. We call it our theological vision. But all of our secondary issues, we just acknowledge. We just say, I may or may not see or say that the same way, but you can still be a member and not agree on everything. This is a a text that we can go to to justify or understand why would we do that? Why would we not say you've got to agree on every 200 bits of doctrine that we have? One, because then we would not have a church, right? (laughs) Um, But also because we believe that Scripture brings a lot of beauty through diversity of thought. So rather, the more literal rendering of harmony is not agree on everything. It's set your mind on the same thing. Set your mind on… It's about focus. It's about primacy. It's about keeping the main thing the main thing. So this all checks out. In order to experience harmony, we're going to need to endure some challenges of disharmony. And we're going to need a lot of encouragement along the way because we're going to get weary. Some of us have been at this for five years. Some of us perhaps longer following Jesus, of being a church family, we're going to need encouragement. We have needed encouragement. We have needed endurance to seek unity. You see, by God's grace, this is what I love about the God of the Bible. He gives us this call to harmony, but he also gives us the power to fulfill it. Right? Don't you love that? He doesn't just say, y'all need to just stop acting a fool and get along and have unity. He's also going to give you everything that you need in order to fulfill that. This is why Jesus is not merely our example, but he is also our power. He's not just the one we follow what he does, but he is the one who inhabits us through his spirit, by his word, so that we can actually obey. There are a lot of things that we make central. There are a lot of things then that challenge this harmony. And primarily, the Lord has given us his spirit. This is ultimately what the scriptures teach us throughout the New Testament of what is the power of unity. How are we going to be able to live in harmony? In fact, when when Paul writes to the, the Christians in Ephesus, he told them to be eager to maintain the unity of what? The spirit in the bond of peace. So, church, we're supposed to be eager eager, excited. We're going to work at it. We're going to need endurance and encouragement to persist at being unified and in harmony. That means we should be less eager about winning. That means we should be less eager about making sure that we're right and that everybody knows that we're right. We should be more eager to maintain the fellowship, and we should be eager to make sure everybody knows that we know what we know and we got it going on, right? That love is always better than winning. But it's the Spirit who ultimately holds us together. This would be good for us, I think, to consider more deeply. What are these challenges? What are the challenges that we face as a community, perhaps 21st century community in Chicago, but more particularly, church in the square, following Jesus in a pluralistic, chaotic city like ours that has beauty, that has challenges, that has joys, that has burdens, right? What creates this disunity? What do we need to be mindful of? Why is it that we need divine encouragement? Why is it that we need divine endurance. Well, there are many reasons, right? There's many things that cause disunity. Money, we've talked about a lot the past couple of months, how that can cause disunity. Secondary issues, as we've mentioned, those can cause division. Pride, control, power, who gets what resource, who's in control, who makes what decision. All of these things seek to violate the harmony that the Spirit is building in our church family. But Paul has actually highlighted three primary things, I think, already in Romans that we'd be good to look back on. 
And I think in the coming months, we're going to do a lot of this because we come to the last two chapters of Romans. We're going to look back and reminisce, you know, like the flashbacks in your favorite sitcom. And you think back all the way to when Steve Urkel was just like, you know, 13 years old. And you go, this is awesome. Steve Urkel was part of a sitcom. Um, <laughs> family matters for those of you. All right. So the first thing that we realize that Paul says is going to be a real challenge to unity, a real challenge rather to harmony, is religion. And this may seem counterintuitive. Uh, this is what Paul has dealt with considerably, though, throughout Romans. See, when we center doctrine, when we center religious rules or our spiritual preference, we cause division, we cause disunity. This is constantly what Jesus was dealing with with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes of his day. They were constantly drawing a line in the sand and saying, you've got to live and think and act and believe just like this or you're out. Specifically, this is wrong or wrong-headed because it leads to judgmentalism. It's a void of mercy. It's void of grace. And Paul said back in Romans chapter 2, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. In other words, what we find in judgmentalism is almost always we loathe in someone else what we really loathe about ourselves. We critique in someone else what we know is actually off, amiss, not harmonious within our own personhood. See, legalism and judgmentalism are, are void of love. And when we don't have love, if we don't have love, we don't have harmony. So religion is part of the challenge that we must overcome, where we need endurance, we need encouragement to overcome legalism in order to enjoy harmony. But also tolerance. We've looked at this the past couple of weeks. Tolerance is also a challenge to harmony. See, while secular tolerance may seem unifying at first blush, like let's just all lay down our defenses and accept everybody's perspective and their ideas, it doesn't have a semblance of truth. It has to let go of universal truth in order to find order, in order to find unity. So it actually causes disunity. See, remember back in Romans chapter 1, chapter 1 verse 18, he says, for the wrath of God is revealed against from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Tolerance almost always is suppressing the truth for what it believes is more important or more beautiful, which is love. But love without truth is really not very loving. And so it, it, it creates disruption to the harmony that God has instituted. And so we can't have harmony without truth. But thirdly, I think what we see throughout Paul's letter and throughout all of the scriptures, really, is that individualism is a challenge to harmony. Seeing just myself, when we fail to see ourselves as part of a family, part of a community, we learn to think about ourselves in isolation, even if not especially as Christians. There is an entire ilk, an entire stream of thinking within Christianity that's just me and Jesus. Me and Jesus got this good thing going on, and all of y'all can kind of catch up to that, but we've got a vibe. We've got a good vibes only thing going on, me and Jesus, and I'm looking for a church that just finally lines up with what me and Jesus already got going on, right? So sometimes we do this, to be sure, out of protection. It's just me and Jesus because the church has acted a fool. They have hurt. They have harmed. They have lied. They've been deceptive. They've been hypocritical, and so it's understandable why many of us might start there, but other times we do this out of pride, right? We, we do this because we have uh, enjoyed friendships, perhaps within a community, but ultimately our identity is for us. So we come to church because we like the relationships, but when it comes to who I am, defining who I am and how I think, how I believe, how I live, that's really on me. Yet Romans chapter 12 tells us, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. See, I think one of the things that we fear if, if we 
find our identity within community is that we'll lose our individuality. But the beauty of Christianity is that you bear the image of God, but you cannot bear it on your own. So that wonderful divine imprint is yours individually as a human person, and yet the fullness of that image is only fully completely expressed. That shalom of who you are is only fully brought to life within community. This is why in Genesis chapter 1, when God bestows the image of God, he says male and female, he made them the image of God they had together. It was something that they completed together. So individualism then fails to see the beauty of wholeness. At first bus, especially for the introverts in the room, right, that we know peace when we're away from people, right? Love that. Love being by myself. It seems very, very peaceful, right? Some of you training for the marathon or whatever, it's like, how can you be you know, running for three hours, because my whole life is a cacophony of noise with these four children. God bless them. Still overcoming the pandemic. But three hours just with my thoughts, that's wonderful. That's so good. That's a gift. That's a gift. But it's a, it's a deception if I believe that's where peace really comes from. That momentary break from people is not the place to build and develop personhood. I cannot have full harmony without my brothers and sisters. See, in each of these challenges, we need endurance. <laughs> We need encouragement. We need to endure beyond the temptation of moralism and see the beauty of grace. We need to endure beyond the temptation of tolerance and see the power of truth. We need to endure beyond the temptation of individualism and see our identity as wrapped up with all of God's people. That's the challenge of harmony. So what's the purpose of it all? Let's keep in mind, harmony is about setting our minds on the same thing. So the first step is considering the purpose of harmony, is to understand what it is that we're all supposed to be mindful of. What are we supposed to set our minds up? And we need to endure all this. What's the target? Where are we going? Perhaps this won't be surprising, uh, but the one thing, the main thing, is Jesus himself, right? And how do we know this? Well, look at verse 5, the latter half of verse 5. He says, all of this harmony, this endurance, this encouragement is all supposed to come, what? In accord with Christ Jesus, So he's pointing us to Christ. Harmony, then, is about setting our minds on Christ. Uh, This reality, perhaps most memorably, is illustrated when Jesus visits a pair of sisters, Mary and Martha. Perhaps you know the story in Luke chapter 10. In fact, why don't we turn there? So if you're in Romans, turn to the left um, through Acts, through John, into Luke chapter 10. Jesus has come to town, and he comes to Mary and Martha's house. Uh, and here we'll pick up the story in verse 38. It says, Now as they were, went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now, for some of us, this hits way too close to home, right? You, you haven't just read this story. You have lived this story. Plenty of people are sitting around when you're trying to entertain guests and welcome them into your home. You have so many things to do that you wish you would have done earlier, but now you've got to do it right now. So Martha, you can relate. You feel this on a deep level. Martha greets Jesus, and then she gets to work. She gets to work to welcome him. Mary, on the other hand, she sat down. She paused. The moment that Martha was like, we got to get this house ready to receive the Lord, Mary sits down, she listens, and she rested. So, in other words, what do we not have? Harmony. They are not on the same page. They're seeing this completely differently. Their minds are not set on the same thing. And so Martha asked Jesus for some help. Tell my sister to get to work. 
Tell her to do something. She might even go, she's always like this. She's always the one. We cannot find where she is when all of a sudden we have to make the meal or we have to get the house ready or do the work. Like she's just gone. And here's how Jesus responds, verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. I love that he says her name twice. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, before we are too quick to critique Martha, it's welcoming someone by hustling and getting it prepared and doing a good job welcoming someone to your home is not a bad thing. It's not an evil thing. But it is not the main thing when Jesus is there, when he is in your presence. Jesus doesn't simply confirm that Mary was right and that Martha is distracted, but Jesus is also teaching all of us about what creates harmony, what brings peace himself. He's the good portion. In other words, Martha will know peace not once Mary gets on the same page that she's on, right? This is so critical. A lot of times we're like, the world would just be better if everyone caught up to where I was, understood what I understood, was doing what I was doing, and did what I wanted them to do, right? I feel this all the time whenever I drive in Chicago. I'm like, if y'all just knew what I knew and did what I did, we would all get through this together, right? Jesus is not saying that, though. What's he saying? It's when Martha sets her mind on Christ and not her house and not her reputation as a host and not the one who has all of the work done. But when she sets her mind on Christ, that's when she'll know harmony. That's when she'll know peace, just like Mary. See, the religious person isn't centered on Christ. Why? Because they've overlooked his love. The tolerant person is not centered on Christ. Why? Because they've neglected his truth. The individualist isn't centered on Christ. Why? Because they've abandoned his family. Therefore, each of these fails to fulfill the purpose of harmony. And that's where Paul takes us next. Look at Romans chapter 15. So turn back if you've moved over to Luke. Romans chapter 15, verse 6. Luke now gives us the purpose, the meaning, the telos, the end of this that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the purpose of harmony is that harmony leads to worship. Harmony leads us to worship. Paul says that harmony leads to glorifying the Heavenly Father. Theologian Marvadon explains that worship is our most festive function in life. Now, Marvadon understood something about worship that I often… When I read that, I was like, what? You know, most festive function. I can think of a lot of other things that seem more festive than than this. But she says, the more we adore the Trinity and acclaim the Lord's works, the more we will fall in love with God and the more worshipful we will live. What she's saying is when we are centered on the Lord together, we not only worship Him together, but we delight in that worship more and more. When we worship him together, we enjoy him. We enjoy his love even more. Worship, we may say, is generative. It produces more of a longing to worship and more worship in general. It produces more and more of glorifying. This is our purpose, and it's holistic. See, here Paul is focusing on singing, right? He's talking about we're going to lift one voice, which may terrify many of us to sing, right? But it's more than that. If you remember back in Romans chapter 12, Paul said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is what? Your spiritual worship. 
Worship is about our hearts. It's about our voices. It's about our bodies. And harmony is the thing that pushes us. The reason that we want to live in harmony is to worship and glorify God. This is fundamental. It's a fundamental Christian practice. Glory is a word which finds little correlation in Greek parlance, particularly in the first century. In other words, the New Testament writers were after something unique when they started using this word to talk about worship, when they started to use the word glory to talk about God. Theologian and Greek scholar Gerhard Kittle says that glory denotes divine and heavenly radiance, the loftiness and majesty of God, and even the being of God in His world. One person said that to glorify God is to put Him on full display. It's the full display of His worth and beauty. That's His glory. And so what we are doing when we glorify God is we are acknowledging that this is all about Him. We're celebrating who He is. We're celebrating. We're naming what He has done. We are describing Him accurately. We're loving Him in truth. We're ordering our lives in accordance with His character. You see, to glorify God is to simply agree with reality of who He is, just like prayer. We're agreeing with who He is. See, harmony is not agreeing about all of our doctrines. Harmony is agreeing about who God is and what He is like and what He has accomplished for us. It's centering our lives on Him. It's not centering everyone's perspective and preferences, nor is it about avoiding conflict through isolation. Rather, harmony is about our affections. It's about your heart. It's about centering our lives on Christ, which results in a unified heart, unified words and bodies that glorify God, even though we may not see or say everything the exact same way. That's the purpose of harmony. It's worship. It's glory. We have to forget that ultimately our chief delight, the thing that we're meant to do in this life, is worship the Lord and enjoy Him forever. That's what it is to be His creation. But why? What's our motivation? You might be wondering, why should we glorify God? Uh, As a boy, prominent and late atheist, Christopher Hitchens remembers having a real problem with uh, the call to Christians to worship and glorify God. He was a sharp little kid, and he uh, asks in the beginning of his book, which is called God is Not Great, he remembers asking as a kid, why if God was the creator of all things, were we supposed to praise Him so incessantly for doing what came to Him naturally? This seems servile, Hitchens said, apart from anything else. It's a fair question. Hitchens goes on to say that not simply that God's demand for glory or worship seems incredibly egotistical, but also he's ultimately unworthy of adulation. And here's why he thought he was. If he could heal the blind, why not heal blindness? If he could feed 5,000, then why not end hunger? If God is good, then why all of this bad? Why not, for instance, end slavery when Jesus was on earth. Perhaps you've wondered similar things. Perhaps you are wondering similar things. And those are really important questions. Today, we are not going to dive deep. Many people have into what's generally described as the problem of evil or this paying for justice that we have, which I do believe that the Scriptures give us real clarity about. Instead, we should consider, for our time together, what Paul is saying in Romans 15 is our motivation for this harmony that leads to worship. Look at verse 7. Therefore, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So the motivation for worship and harmony 
isn't that every question or reason not to worship God has been answered. In other words, when you go two hands varsity level on Sunday morning, you're not saying, I don't have any more, an- I don't have any more questions. I've, I have all of my <laughs> questions answered. I've got it all figured out. Whenever you respond in harmony with one another and living in the joy of unity, we're not saying, we've got it all figured out. We have no more questions for God, right? What are we saying? Instead, we're understanding rather that our motivation for harmony is the way that Jesus has shown up for us. Paul says we should welcome each other or we should live in harmony because Jesus welcomed us. Jesus brought harmony between us and God. That's our motivation. This was Paul's primary point back in chapter 5 of Romans when he said, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. See, Jesus has secured peace. He's secured harmony with God, between you and God, between us and God. Therefore, we can and we should live in this peace, Despite our different opinions, our different choices, our different beliefs about secondary issues, despite the fact that some of us are weak and some of us are strong in particular areas, that that we can endure, that we can be encouraged as God's people to set our minds on Christ. So why do we worship God? Why do we live in harmony? Why do we welcome one another? Well, certainly not because we don't have any more questions nor so that we'd agree on everything. Rather, our motivation for harmony is the incarnation, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. It's how He has shown up for us. Many of our friends and neighbors, and perhaps you, would believe in Jesus, would become a Christian if you had all of your questions answered, or at least better answers to some of your questions. Perhaps that's you. Perhaps This is a season you're walking in or have walked in. You'd follow Jesus if you had a watertight argument for all that he claimed and all that Scripture is claiming about him. However, that's not how this works, is it? I mean, you think about it. That's not how any relationship works. My wife still has so many questions for me. Right? (laughs) You have so many questions for one another. I have so many questions for you. You have so many questions for me about what this looks like to live in this life together. See, we are a family not because we have all of our questions answered. We're a family because we know that we have been made one by Christ. We're a family not because it's easy. Lord knows that's not true. It's a lot easier to move away from one another when things become challenging in particular. See, what we have is not a bunch of answers in the Scriptures. What we have is a relationship. See, that's not how relationships work at all. I've heard it said that instead of a watertight argument, God gave us a watertight person. That's a lot better if you really think about it. He gave us Jesus. He didn't just give us intellectual stimulation or intellectual satisfaction. He gave us relationship. He gave us peace that goes beyond the questions that may prevail in this life. He made peace with you, with me, and between us. He made cosmic harmony a reality through faith. That's our motivation. The motivation to live in harmony is the harmony that gave us life together as His people. That seems to be what Mary understood. She was like, I know this house is a wreck. I made a lot of the mess. I know this is really messy. I'm not saying I don't have any more work to do. I'm saying Jesus is here. You with me? I'm not saying there's not more to be done. 
I'm just saying Jesus is here. So she sits down. She set her mind on Christ. He was her logic. He was her love. She had no rebuttal. If Martha was like, why don't you help me have all this? I know, I know, I know. But him, like that was her logic. That's her answer. We shouldn't be together. I know. There's no other reason some of us should be a family except for Jesus Christ. I know, right? Are you with me? Like this just makes no sense. What a beautiful thing that this doesn't make any sense in an earthly manner. He was her truth. He was her family. He was her motivation. Church, can you even imagine can you even imagine if we got on that page together? Can you imagine if we set our minds on Christ? Can you imagine if everything else took a backseat to his glory? Can you imagine if we lived with harmony in a chaotic world? Can you imagine if we endured beyond religion, tolerance, and individualism? Can you imagine if we lived our lives as if Jesus really, actually, truly welcomed us? I think if we did, we'd welcome one another. And I think we'd begin to welcome a lot of other people too. That's Paul's prayer for us, and I believe that it's the Lord's will for our church family, so may it be so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder of your truth. We ask for your forgiveness for the many ways we disbelieve it and distrust it daily, that we have to make our own peace through our hard work, by giving up on love, or through our own vision of love and giving up on truth, or our own vision of ourselves and disregarding your family. So, Father, forgive us and heal us. Help us to live as a people who are one. Help us to live as a people whose minds are stayed, fixed, grounded, anchored in Christ. Would you help us? We need wisdom. Because that doesn't mean all these secondary issues and differences are unimportant. It just means they're secondary. So would you help us to know, would you give us the wisdom to understand by the power of your Spirit what that really looks like to live in that kind of community and in that kind of way? Because we do need your endurance. We do need your encouragement so that we can live in the kind of harmony that you, Father, Son, and Spirit, have enjoyed since eternity past. And so, Father, help us, heal us, encourage us, help us to not grow weary in doing good. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.